Please remain standing as you're able. Last week we talked about the parable of the sower and the seeds fell in different kinds of ground. I remember the story of a pastor trying to get that across to a children's Sunday school class. So they went outside in some ground behind their classroom and he took seeds and put it in um, a, a nice uh, gardened area. And then he took seed and put it in some weeds. And then he took a piece of seed and just put it in some gravel kind of play area that they had. And then he said, let's see what happens. And they went back in and they agreed to come back in a few weeks. But unbeknownst to the kids, he went back and really took care of the, of the seed that he planted in the good soil and watered it and looked after it and, of course, paid no attention to the other. But at the end of three weeks, he was stunned to find out that the seed that had grown the most was the seed that had been planted in the gravel. The seed that had grown the second most was the seed sown among the weeds. And the seed that he had cared for so carefully never even came up. And he was chagrined because he felt like he had not illustrated the parable at all. Well, maybe he hadn't illustrated that parable, but let's try this one. Jesus also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to our God. Be seated, please. Now, this is a different parable about a guy that just sows seeds and doesn't do anything else. And regardless of his inattention and indifference, the seed sprouts. Now, I think there must be some profound lessons for our life and the life of faith from that parable. So I started thinking about it the last few weeks. And one of the things that taught me just right off the bat is that too often those of us involved in uh, important matters of life or important matters of faith take ourselves and our efforts way too seriously. You know, there's a motto that says, if it's going to be, it's up to me. And that may play well on a sports field. It may even play well to motivate you in your business. But according to Jesus, it doesn't seem to play very well in matters of life and faith. Because a lot of things happen whether we intend them or not. And a lot of things we intend simply don't happen. And so I learned that maybe I take myself too seriously sometimes as a sower or, as I mentioned last week, a, a horticulturalist of sorts. And maybe what I need is a little more sense of humor and grace about myself. Uh, Susan Rees read a quote this morning from Henry Nowen. Henry Nowen taught in Notre Dame. He taught at Yale. And while he was at Yale, he wrote a bunch of books. Then he moved on to Harvard and taught there. But at Harvard, he began to feel like his life had too much opportunity, too big a stage, and it was actually separating him from God. So he moved on a couple of years later, and he moved into a home called the Ark in um, Toronto, Ontario. And there he ministered to and was ministered unto uh, by people with handicapping conditions. And so when he would get an invitation to come to some big-name school and do a conference, what he started doing was taking one of the residents uh, from the ark with him. And they began to uh, go in teams. And he said there was one place, it was in Washington, D.C., a very big conference, a lot of important people there. He was making a, a significant point, one that uh, didn't seem to be getting across to the people that he was addressing. And all of a sudden, his friend who traveled with him and had traveled with him other places stood up and blurted out, Henry, I've heard that one before. And he said all of a sudden he was getting nowhere and through the laughter there was a breakthrough and people started to tune in to him. 
sometimes when we take ourselves with the utmost seriousness, we put a barrier between us and people receiving the gospel. I'm reminded of the story that I heard recently about when uh, President Johnson, LBJ, was president. He was being interviewed on a trip to Ger- Germany by, um, by German uh, journalists, and one of them said, is it true, Mr. President, that you were born in a log cabin? And he said, oh, no, no. He said, you have me mixed up with President Lincoln. Myself, I was born in a manger. <laughs> well, one hopes that he's not taking himself that seriously, but that sort of, of seriousness, if he is, could indeed separate anyone from ever hearing uh, your message. I think some of the Christians we should fear the most are the ones who have no sense of humor about life or faith. And they always believe they have the answer and they need to inflict the answer upon you. And rather than drawing you closer in to matters of life and faith, that sort of certainty seems to push people away. That sort of certainty that that seems to see very little demarcation between us and God. In other words, whatever we say must be what God is really thinking. Uh, doesn't seem to serve to move the kingdom of God forward. And in fact, people with a sense of humor and humility about their life seems to me have the greatest sense of the grace of God, that God is God and they are not. As they take themselves less seriously, it shows that they're taking the presence of God more seriously. Uh, One of our pastors, Dinah Shelley, is on family leave, but that hasn't prevented her from uh, continuing her education. She meets with a group of people who study family systems theory, and she said the presentation this week was about anxiety during the holidays. Now, Now, none of you have experienced that yet, but I bet you might. And here's what he says. The more serious you get when, as the anxiety level gets higher in your family, the more serious you are about it, the higher the anxiety level gets. And if you want to lower your level of anxiety along with the anxiety of the families, then you need to be more playful and take a more humorous approach. And people begin to see that this thing isn't really life or death. After all, by our seriousness, we seem to up the ante. And we put coals on a fire that's burning already out of control. So let's say, for example, you have this continuing issue in your family now that you're married about which grandparents' house you're going to be at for Christmas. And you have an arrangement, an arrangement you've worked out, but your mother really has difficulty with this arrangement. And she has told you on numerous occasions that if you don't come to her house this Christmas, it's going to kill her. Well, you know the arrangement is not to go to her house this Christmas. It's to go to her in-laws, so this is how you handle it. You call and you say, Mother, I need to tell you something. And I know that this is going to be hard, so this is what I've done. I have called and you named the local funeral home. And they will be by to pick you up on Tuesday because I know this news is going to kill you. (laughs) And what you've done is you've helped mom see that it's really not life and death after all. And you've sort of let the anxiety loose a little bit rather than heightened it. This parable teaches me that I'm not God and that I can be so careful about things, but it won't necessarily come out. And teaches me to have a sense of humor and playfulness about matters of life and faith. The, the parable also teaches me another important lesson, and that is that oftentimes life is simply beyond my control. That as much as I plan and as hard as I try to orchestrate and organize things, they never quite turn out the way I intended. In fact, I think that's probably a basic rule of life. Things never turn out quite as you planned. 
And that's usually, we'll find out in this parable, for the better. But I'm reminded of this wonderful observation you probably heard me give a couple of years ago about people whose lives are so planned and so structured sort of to eliminate any possibility of uh, unplanned, uncontrolled, um, unforeseen negative events. Eileen Gruder writes, You can live on bland food so as to avoid an ulcer. Drink no tea, coffee, or other stimulants in the name of health. Go to bed early. Stay away from nightlife. Avoid all controversial subjects so as never to give offense to anyone. Mind your own business. Avoid involvement in other people's problems. Spend money only on necessities. Save all you can. And you can still break your neck in the bathtub and it'll serve you right. There are lessons about the illusion of control in this parable. No matter how carefully we try to orchestrate things, they are not going to turn out the way we planned. Uh, every December, there are families uh, like ours, especially while uh, the majority of schools still are doing early decision for college, who go through it. We went through a few years ago. We had a child who was uh, just certain and had planned and orchestrated everything to go to one school. Uh, his essay was evaluated and reevaluated by the teachers at the school, and, and we got it all together. Well, word came at the December 15th deadline that uh, he was not admitted to that school. And you just watched Christmas air just get sucked out of the house. And it seemed like that was the end. Well, I have to tell you, yesterday we spent a good part of the day in his house at the campus where he now is with his five roommates. And he's having a great time and learning a great deal. It's not what he planned. It's not what we tried to control, but it's so much better than what we hoped for. I told you last week about my oldest son who goes to law school many, many miles away. Uh, He went to undergrad at the same school. And when it came time for our firstborn to go to college, my wife and I were on different sides, but we each had a different school for him. And what we did is she took him to some, I took him to some. Together we did joint ones. And uh, to our chagrin, he didn't go to any of those schools. He went to the one my little brother took him to. Now, our assumption was that my little brother showed him a much better time than we did on the visit. But the reality was that this was where he belonged. And it suited him, and six years later, it suits him. To this day, it wasn't what we planned. It was beyond our control. But it was so much better than what we had tried to control. Control is an illusion in our life. And we can plant and water and and weed and do it all. And it still might not come out the way that we wanted. And sometimes we accidentally do nothing and it comes out better than we hoped for. The late John Claypool says it's always to remember, good to remember that there's a difference between things in life you have to work for, but other things in life you have to wait for. And some things call for both, and some things call for one and the other. When we were on vacation in Hawaii this summer, on this particular island, a lot of people uh, find it important to get to the top of a volcano and see sunrise. Now, the roads aren't very, they're not like roads in Texas to get there. You don't get there very quickly. And if you want to catch sunrise, you have to get up at 3 in the morning. Uh, That requires a lot of discipline, more than my family was willing to put forth. But that's a lot of work. But one of the things that happens is, even though you may work at that, you can get to the top and find out what a number of people found while we were there, and that is cloud or fog, and they never saw the sunrise. You know, try as you might, you can't make the sun come up. In the way that you want it, you can set your alarm, you can get up, you can get to a certain vantage point, but there's simply some things that are beyond our control, and much in life is beyond our control, and the last thing the parable teaches me is that's a good thing, because in life, God will have the last word, and it's always a better word 
then you and I can speak. And we try to arrange these speeches and we try to deliver these speeches. But nothing works quite like when God speaks. I was thinking this past week about uh, working with some youth at a church years ago. We went on a mission trip, but we always tried to incorporate fun with mission in the mission trip. But when it was time to work, it was time to work. And we had two kids who were bigger than the other kids. They were in high school. We counted on them to do a lot of the work. Well, they were in tune with the jargon of the day. They had learned through aerobics. And when we chided them for their uh, seemed to be very little effort on this important and uh, strenuous, difficult work, they informed us that they only did low-impact mission work. Well, after a while, we, gave, we uh, came to call these two high school leaders low-impact and no-impact. Because of the little effort that they put forth. But you fast forward the clock now, 15 years, and they both are making great impact in the kingdom of God. I never would have guessed it. But both of them have wonderful ministries in the area of music, and one of them makes great impact for our church just down the hall in the Christian Life Center. And for you to ask me 15 years ago, I'd have said, no way. No way, but God took that seed and grew it in a way that I, at least 15 summers ago, certainly couldn't find a way to grow it. I had a special visitor to my office the other day, and she brought uh, something to see, and and we showed it to my secretary, Leah. It was a picture she had drawn of me 12 years ago when I was preaching, and you've got a picture of me in a robe, and you can tell it's me, but you can also tell it's 12 years ago because I have still some hair. And she had drawn it, and she was about 12 years old. And uh, then I moved on. I came to Alamo Heights. She went on junior school, high school. She went to a college, got involved with an outstanding uh, church where she went to college. She moved after graduation. She had a couple other good churches. And, and God was taking that seed and growing it. And she's moved back now to the San Antonio area and gonna, is going to commit her life to working with children who have disabilities. Uh, but one of the things she was worried about was, would she find a church home? So she was at church outside Fort Worth one day, and a guy said, well, you know, I know a church that's not real close to San Antonio, but it's in the area. They meet in a junior high cafeteria and gym in Smithson Valley. And he said it's called like River City, River Bend, River Road, something like that. But you ought to go look it up. So she does. And a couple months ago, she walks into our campus, Riverside, at, uh, at Smithson Valley, and she begins to enjoy some of the relationships that are being formed before the service. And she's thinking, I've been looking for two months, God, maybe this is it. And then the pastor, in the course of speaking that morning, tells her that this is a church that's been started by Alamo Heights United Methodist Church, and that his mentor is somebody named David McNitsky. And the picture from 12 years ago, comes alive for her, comes alive for her. And she says to God, I know I'm in the right place. And she's now working at that campus to do what we've begun to do on this campus with children who have special needs. It was a seed that grew for 12 years. I wasn't around. I wasn't at college. I wasn't at high school and junior high. I had no idea. But God was growing it. And when God grows it, believe me, it's always for the better. God is beyond our prediction. God's not predictable. But God is extremely reliable. And if we will give God our talent, our time, and our lives, God will do something with it, even if we can't see it at the time and others can't see it. Because this parable reminds me that while I'm still alive, I'm still growing. 
I'm still growing and I'm still likely to come up in all sorts of different ways. There's going to be all sorts of different harvests from my life that I never imagined. But I am still growing. The final word has not been spoken yet, but when it's spoken, it'll be a good word. And finally, the parable reminds me that none of this happens. None of it would have happened had not the sower taken the time to scatter that seed. And I thought about all the seeds that God has given me in terms of time and talent. And here at Stewardship Time, finances, possessions. And I thought about some of what I do with those seeds. And every month, I have a car payment for one of my kids, more than $300. And that seed's gone. A few times a week, three or four of us in the family go out to eat, $30, $35. That seed's gone. We have a mortgage payment. You don't want to know. That seed's gone. Tennis lessons, strings, rackets, a couple hundred dollars a month. It's gone. All those seeds, they're gone. But a couple Sundays a month, I take my check and I put it in the offering plate. And that seed lives on and on and on and works in ways that I cannot imagine. And I finally have to say, the value of that seed that I plant twice a month, priceless. 